0: Dame Lillard does it again and closes out the Oklahoma City Thunder in style.
1: There were also some other games in the NBA that we'll talk about, and we talk about the head coaching search for the Los Angeles Lakers and the Phoenix Suns.
0: And it might be a closeout night for two teams we're going to talk about here. It's the Wednesday Locked On NBA. Let's go.
1: You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to the Locked On NBA podcast. We are your Wednesday hosts. I am John Corrales. I cover the Boston Celtics for MassLive.com and I am co-host of the Locked On Celtics Podcast.
1: And I'm Jake Madison. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at NolaJake and the host of the Locked On Pelicans Podcast.
0: I'm Reds Army underscore John on Twitter. So here's how it's going to break down. We'll get to the other closeout games, the other games of the night later and that coaching search, but we've got to talk. We're recording the show mere moments. 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 (laughs) So this is still fresh in our heads. Dame Lillard just crushes the hopes and dreams of the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are done. Lillard hits a three at the buzzer in Paul George's face from the O in the Moda Center logo way out there near half court. A step back. A step back three, Jake. And he was doing it a- as time expired. The whole time. This was, that was his plan and he
1: drilled it. it, it this was one of, I, I'm, I was watching it on my computer after finishing recording Locked on Pelicans and I literally screamed and scared the cat in the room who went running away because of my excitement. And I'm like sitting here kind of bouncing in my chair because that was so much fun to see that shot. And what just a great moment for Damian Lillard. Also, by the way, set up really well by an awesome two-for-one opportunity that they had with 39 seconds left. You think you had Damian Lillard with that drive to the basket quickly scored, I think, 33 seconds left for the Thunder. They missed the shot, and then he just decided he was going to take that shot no matter what. No desire to drive, no desire to do anything
0: else but launch it from there. And it worked. <laughs> of course it worked. He's Damian Lillard. That stuff works for Damian Lillard, who, uh, just had, by the way, a monster night. That was his 50th point. 55-0. Uh, wow. D- 10 of 18. Jake.
1: That was- Yeah, I know. It's like not much you could say. It's just like, it's all superlative at this point. It, it, that's the- 10th three of the nights. Yep. It, it's the highest, uh, uh, point total in the playoffs so far, eclipsing Giannis, who I think had 44 at one point, and he did it on the game winner. Like it, He was masterful in this game. He came out firing for him. It was game time to start the game. I think through the first, he played the entirety of the first half, so all 24 minutes there. And for a while, he was the only Blazer that had more than two made field goals and was just carrying them. He slumped a little bit. The start of the fourth, they subbed him out maybe a little bit prematurely at the start of the third, which you have to do after playing him for the entire first half. That let the Thunder kind of go on a 30-6 to run, I think it was. And then he just causes them to storm back and win this game. And after the playoff series he had last year, where the Trailblazers were swept by the Pelicans, with Drew Holiday shutting him down for the most part, what a redemptive moment for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was just, he handled the pressure all series long, stepped up all series long, obviously with the 4-1 uh, win was just phenomenal. Um, and also, by the way, this capped a monster, monster comeback. They were down 15, 15 points with 7-12 to go, and it looked like the Thunder were going to run away with it. And then he uh, and McCollum had some big shots. McCollum took over uh as well uh but it was it was just devastating for the Oklahoma City Thunder um to watch that happen after building up a huge lead. They wasted some monster games from uh, I mean that was that was the the one good Russell Westbrook game uh scoring wise like shooting kind of though? Yeah well, actually he was hot early. Here was he, he was missing later Yeah. On. But uh You, when you get, when you get what you got from him, uh, earlier in that game, 4 of 11 from, for him from 3 is a big deal. And he hit one late that was, that was big. Uh, when you get 7 of 10 shooting from Dennis Schroeder, when you get 36 points out of Paul George who can't raise his freaking arms above his head anymore, like that, that's a game that the Thunder have to win. And to, to watch those heroics down the stretch. Wow. I mean, I just don't know what to say at this point.
1: No, like, if you haven't seen it, just go watch it immediately. That shot is unbelievably awesome. And, you know, like you were saying, they were down 15 with about seven minutes to go. And I'm watching this saying, what just a waste for Portland. And like, this is not what they needed after last year, after really kind of being questioned going into the playoffs, because no one believes in them to actually win anything. They needed this so badly. And now the other story becomes of like what's going on, what's going to happen here with the Oklahoma City Thunder because you saw this is like to me the complete Russell Westbrook game. This is both good Russ and bad Russ. He came out pretty well to start the game. Then closer to the half, he missed three shots at the rim in a row that basically allowed the, uh, Portland Trailblazers. I think it was a Seth Curry three to take the lead there. And it's like, you just got the good and bad from him. And you know, I wasn't sure what we were going to see out of him, but it's like the quintessential Westbrook game, 29 points, 14 assists, 11 rebounds. But he also missed, I think two shots late in the fourth that really allowed Portland to kind of get those shots off and get that two for one opportunity. And like in a way, you can almost say he cost them the game, but at the same time, the Thunder also wasted his performance. So this is just weird, right?
0: Yeah. It's there. There's going to, it's going to take a lot of time to kind of figure out how to fix what's wrong in Oklahoma city. Uh, this was as good a performance as you can expect. I think out of Russell Westbrook right now, and, and we'll have to see how he comes back next season. So much of what, what went wrong for them this season and, it just stems from his inability to hit shots. Uh, his, his jump shot has completely abandoned him. It was never great. Oh, it's rough. It was never great, but it has fallen off a cliff. Um, and when, when he can't even shoot somewhat reliably, I mean, I'm not asking for, uh, you know, Steph Curry numbers or anything like that, but, you got to shoot better than what do you shoot from three? Twenty nine percent? Uh he's never been a great three point shooter, but he's got a but find he's taken way.
1: eleven in this game and again, four of eleven for him is actually pretty good. So it, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's kind of weird. It, maybe this just sums him up super well that you feel like it's a wasted performance, but I also still feel like he kind of cost them the game a little bit. And uh, how do you kind of reconcile this with the team? And when you look at it, it's just like Paul, Paul George had 36, 9 and 3 in this one and he shot 70% from the field and was also 3 of 8 from deep. It's like it was Kevin Durant right there and it just isn't good enough. And I don't know if it's Russ's style of play or the rest of the roster construction. But I think, you know, the way we kind of question Portland and maybe after their playoff series last year is the same way we're going to look at this Oklahoma City Thunder team, and maybe that's a good way to kind of sum it up.
0: Yeah, probably. Uh There are a ton of question marks, and, and really, frankly, nothing that the Thunder can do. They no. Have, they have yeah. $138 million in guaranteed salary for next season. They are so top-heavy. They're paying – 38.5 to Russell Westbrook, 33 to Paul George, 20, almost 26 to Steven Adams. I mean, that's, that's more than, those three guys are gonna be more than probably the bottom third of the league's salary, uh, roster, uh, is gonna be. Yeah. So, like, um, it's, they're stuck. They're, they're stuck. They're gonna have to figure some things out and Sam Presti's gonna have to get creative in, in making a move here. I don't know what that move is. I really don't. Uh, you can't, who do you trade to get the types of shooters around Westbrook that that he needs because this entire series came down to uh for the most part the Thunder's inability to hit a bunch of shots I and mean, and then what you do in that situation is when you go down 3-1 on a night where you do hit a bunch of shots they shot 12 of 27 from 3 at 44%. That's that's acceptable, but you fall victim to the potential Dame Lillard game where he hits that shot from that distance and waves your team off the floor. I mean, that's that's the risk for a team that you can't, when you can't reliably shoot from deep, and when your worst three-point shooter is taking 11 of them a game, uh, not a game, but in this game, you're... You're in a you're in a weird place. You're in a weird place, Oklahoma City, and Portland gets to celebrate a a big playoff win that after the Nurkic injury, no one no thought one thought was, was coming. He was no, there too. He
1: was on the bench standing without crutches. What?
0: Yeah, yeah. that's amazing, right? Uh,
1: yeah, they just had an unbelievable night. Also, we haven't even talked about the wave, have we?
0: The, oh, the wave off at, at the end after the shot. I mean, that was that was really the best part. That was really the best part of the whole night because, you know, he's got a thing with Oklahoma City. He's got a thing with Westbrook. I mean, he's, he, when these two teams match up, there's a little something extra to these, these games. And to hit that shot, it's just, it was the basketball equivalent of like the guy that walks away from the explosion in the movie. Like that, it, it like, doesn't blink. <laughs> if only like, he had sunglasses to yeah, throw like, on, as everything goes up on. and blinks. Like he hits this amazing shot, and he's just like, "Yep, no, no reaction, no like, yeah, screaming." He just waves, "Bye, later. Get off, get off of my court. I'm done with you."
1: Like, it, it was unbelievable,
0: disrespectful, disrespectful, and it was amazing. Uh Okay, that was. That was a very emotional reaction to that game that was very low on analysis and very much high on the gushing, which Dame Lillard deserves in that moment. When we come back, we'll wrap up the rest of the night in the NBA, which really included a lot of, I guess, not so exciting games. None of those other games really uh, were in doubt for very long, so we'll talk about that, and then later on, The wild mess of the Lakers coaching search. If you are not a subscriber to the Locked On NBA podcast, you could always download the new Himalaya podcast app, use its new features to curate curate your podcast through your interests. Go ahead and check it out. Subscribe to Locked On NBA. Or just ask your smart device when you get in your car to play podcast Locked On NBA. We'll be right back. Three other games, Jake, in the association. We normally call it too long, didn't watch, but maybe we just say too boring, didn't watch, because these that were,
1: That's a better title for, yeah, for this segment right here.
0: We're like, too... Yeah, didn't watch the whole thing, because let's start with the Toronto Raptors just completely decimating the uh, Orlando Magic. 115-96, uh, just too much Kawhi, uh, not enough Vooch just story of the series you know good for orlando for storming out in game 1 and grabbing that win and giving the the fans something to hang their hat on and say hey look we we got something here but by the end this was just uh how it should have been yeah this was this was a a team that could be an nba finalist showing uh, a seventh seed that this is this is how this is how a good team yes. looks A a seventh seed in the East.
1: So it's like, this is how it should have been. Toronto had a 37-point lead in this one. Orlando had 19 points in the first quarter. And basically it was done then when Toronto put up 35. Like you said, too much Kawhi, too much Pascal. Kyle Lowry, way to rebound after that first game for the rest of the series. He shot 60% in this one. He needed a kind of a, a quiet, good enough game just to kind of boost his confidence. And he's been really good all series, I think, in this one too. And like you said, not enough Vuzovic in this for the entire series really for the Orlando Magic. And he's what a free agent. And oh man, I'd be so worried about paying him a lot of money after the no
0: show in this. You know, it's really the um it's it's I'm looking at my own guy, Terry Rozier, and the the regular season that Terry Rozier's had, and he had a pretty good playoff series, although the numbers don't bear it out. Like, obviously, but if you look at the film, he had a pretty good playoff series and you wonder, huh, I wonder if he can increase his value in the playoffs and actually get back to making a, a fair amount uh, a year after he was ready to make a ton in free agency. Vooch had an awesome regular season, all-star regular season, and was like, this is the perfect time. He looked really good. Yeah. This is, this is where people say, see, See, he's young, he could do this, he could do that, and, and he could get a ton of money. Now, he could still get a ton of money, uh, but the, the feeling would be that if you add him to a good team, then he wouldn't be relied upon to do as much as he was asked to do here, and then he would be able to do more for your team. That's the argument, but I am, a, I'm with you, like, after a playoffs that he had, the first round that he had, there's got to be at least some doubt. It may have depressed his value a little bit. He was their
1: fourth leading scorer in points per game in this series behind Aaron Gordon, Terrence uh Fournier, and he was barely just 0.2 points per game above DJ Augustin, which probably tells you like how poorly he played in this one. I mean, Orlando was overmatched. And like you said, they came out with a lot of energy in game one. And, you know, Toronto Toronto'd in game one and then kind of righted the ship. I like this is just how it should have gone. You know, when when Kawhi Leonard's going to play like he did in the entirety of the series, when he's going to put up 27 points on 11 shots, he shot 72.7% from the field in this game. Like, you're toast. Almost any team's going to be toast.
0: Yes, absolutely. Also toast were the Brooklyn Nets who got crushed by the, uh, Philadelphia 76ers, 122-100, and may I tell you that it was not even really that close. No. Uh, it, was, it was a late charge by the garbage time nets, closed this, uh, to, uh, the 22 point deficit. Too much, way too much Joel Embiid in this one for, um, for Philly, for Brooklyn and again overmatch, they they had a couple of moments there i feel like this series was done when the nets couldn't take advantage of the ejection of jimmy butler in game uh, 4 and when the sixers came back and won that game then there there was just that was it that was the opportunity to to make this uh, instead of 3-1 obviously 2-2 and then sow some seeds of doubt in in the sixers but once the sixers have that that edge they're a very good team when they have a, a lead and that's the nets just really couldn't couldn't overcome that at all but when when they you saw that right away the sixers just stormed out to a monster lead um and, and the nets just didn't have enough i thought this might have been a little bit more interesting series and it could have been but that's that's what happens when you make your first playoffs in however long it's been for brooklyn yeah, you know, I kind of expected, like, this Brooklyn Nets
1: team, like, the g- Game 5 Brooklyn Nets to show up in Game 1, where, like, maybe the stage was just too big for him. I don't, I don't know what it was. You know, if Orlando wants to feel better, they would have outscored Brooklyn in the first quarter because Brooklyn only put up 15 compared to the 19 for um, the Magic uh, while Philly stormed out to 32. And you mentioned Joel Embiid. He just, like, just started early and often. And Dude finished with 23 points, 11 rebounds in 20- 20 minutes of action like that's how easy of a night it was for him and basically all of the uh 76ers in this one but like brooklyn came out with no offense constantly turned the ball over and just looked out of sorts they i think it took them something like six minutes or so to hit their first field goal you know they, they were sitting on one point for an extended period of time and just couldn't get anything going and kind of fell apart Alonzo Russell just didn't show up in this game. He's, the, you know, their best player. Eight points on night, three of 16 shooting. You're gonna lose if he does that. But also, you can't have that kind of performance here in the playoffs. Like we should be killing him for this. Except they're just kind of a young Nets team that overachieves, So maybe we feel kind of bad for him and we think they're going to improve. But that was like truly horrific. And when you have, if you just no show like that, yeah, you're gonna get rolled.
0: Yep, that's, uh, that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Denver Nuggets take a 3-2 lead over the San Antonio Spurs. This is suddenly interesting. I remember a week ago, we had people saying, oh, look, <laughs> remember after game, like it was after the first quarter, somewhere in the second quarter of game two, when, uh, I think it was Will Barton hit Tried to take a corner three, and the ball hit the side of the rim. I mean, side of the backboard. And people were like, that's it. It's over. Forget it. Series done. And then all Denver has done is take a 3-2 lead now behind uh another big night from Jamal Murray, who has found his shot, found his shot in that game, and he shot 56%. He had 23 points. Uh We got the typical Jokic game, 16 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists. I mean, that's this version of the nuggets they were cutting backdoor just cutting the spurs to death um, and jokic was finding guys and and they were hitting shots they were getting out in transition this is this is the the nuggets team that we saw basically all season long yeah they
1: they looked really good in in this game Tamal murray shooting well again after kind of the breakout in I think it was a week ago. Gary Harris is almost underrated and maybe is their best player in the series, despite him not really showing up in the box score as much, because they've been focusing on getting him to defend Derek White for the Spurs a little bit more. That was a change in Game 4 for him, get Jamal Murray off of there, which just also probably freed up Murray to have more energy on offense. Derek White, after that 36-point game, he was held to 5 of 11 shooting in this one, just 12 points. Most of that with Gary Harris kind of draped all over him, making making life difficult. And when you have Jokic making those passes and the guys cutting around him like that, he also hit back to back big threes that kind of blew this game wide open for Denver. Yeah, they're going to win. And part of this is just like a math issue. I think for the San Antonio Spurs, you know, if Denver is going to double them up on three pointers made 14 to seven and shoot 50% compared to 41% for the Spurs. And like you watch the Spurs offense, it's, gross like there's nothing good about it and even if they're making shots you kind of feel like yeah I'm going to kind of just let them do that because if they get one hot night maybe you win that game but you're not going to win a series and when you have DeMar DeRozan going 6 of 15 from the field 17 points just missing bunnies around the rim same for LaMarcus Aldridge you're going to beat them and they just don't have enough firepower to keep up with this Denver Nuggets team right now at least when Denver's not being the streaky Denver that we've seen and being somewhat consistent
0: yeah the, the Spurs need to get more. Well, if, if you're not getting something out of uh, your bench, which, you know, 6 for Rudy Gay, uh, 7 for Bellinelli, Bertans uh, didn't give them much, Mills didn't give them much, you, you're going to need to have DeRozan and Aldridge pick their scoring up. Uh, and, and Derek White, who was the hero uh, in the last Spurs win, 12 points, uh, 5 of 11 shooting, kind of a pedestrian game, was a minus 20 on the night. That, that's, the, the Spurs can do it with defense if they are disciplined, if they're stopping the transition and doing all that stuff and, and taking away the passing from Jokic. If Jokic is out there being able to pick him apart with backdoor cuts, then the, the Spurs definitely don't have, like you said, the firepower. They need somebody like Derek White. To have a big game and, and he didn't. I mean, the Spurs need somebody else if those other two, DeRozan and Aldridge, aren't going to be, uh, stepping up with, with big games. So, the playoffs now, we've got the East set. Toronto, Sixers, Milwaukee, Boston, the West is still wide open. This is gonna be an interesting scheduling situation here because the East teams are just like, all right, well, we're, we're, we're kind of ready to play and the West, they need to figure things out. You know, so the Spurs and the Nuggets, that, if that goes to seven, <laughs> watch out. We have the potential for two playoff game, uh, two closeout games on Wednesday night, which we'll talk about after the break and that Lakers coaching search. So stick around. We're coming right back on the Lockdown NBA podcast. Two teams could be going home on Wednesday night. We'll take a quick look at it. Is there anything to say here about Golden State and the and the Clippers?
1: Yeah, this is this is how it should be. Golden State should be up a- The Clippers got their big win. They had that comeback. I think that kind of woke Golden State up a little bit. They're taking care of business. They're a better team. And I think you're seeing it in the other series, too. You know, the Jazz got their one win at home. This was probably how it was going to go. They kind of had forced an off night somewhat from the Rockets in the fourth quarter in that one where Houston just could not hit a shot whatsoever. Allowed them to kind of seal the deal there. I just don't see them doing that for, you know, three more games and winning the series. And Houston's playing well. They have other guys hitting shots, and as long as those other guys are hitting some of the shots, they're going to win.
0: If they are able to play the level of defense that they played in uh, in Game Four, then they'll be okay. Um, the Jazz, but a couple of things: can they can they keep doing that? Can they keep expecting um, the like? Did, can they keep expecting Derek Favors to to? defend the way he did? Are they going to keep going with him over uh, Rudy Gobert in stretches? Um, and can they keep Clint Capella off of the rim? Uh, Capella was sick and probably lacked a little bit of energy. If he's going to be at 100%, then it, it's not going to matter. And uh, you can't expect favors to keep defending the way he did uh, and stopping that particular pick and roll with Harden. So, I think it's nice that the the Jazz did what they did. I don't think it's they're going to get some of the performances, the, the Jay Crowder performance. I don't think that they're going to get that same level of defense uh and I just it's going to take an ungodly Donovan Mitchell performance I think to to stay alive. So, I'm going to I'm going to bet here that the Rockets close this out.
1: Yeah, look, the the strategy that Utah is using to guard James Harden, which is so completely bizarre, and is that Milwaukee Bucks strategy taken to such an extreme of a guy almost playing from behind James Harden, and they kind of at least funneled him to their rim protectors in game four, which was more than they'd done for the first three games. Problem is, I just, like you said, I don't know if they can do that that consistently, and then also bank on them kind of shooting poorly and not getting the shots they want. That's kind of a lot to ask for here. Um And again, it, it's, uh, you know, it takes a monster performance from Donovan Mitchell to kind of keep up with this team in the series. So if they don't get all three of those things, it's it's a little rough.
0: We'll see what happens here. Before we wrap things up, we've got to talk about the Lakers coaching search because it was reported on Tuesday that Jason Kidd was interviewed by the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, it was also reported by the LA Times and Bill platchkey that the interview just happened to be uh, a favor. So the way he puts it is uh, – Kid's agent Jeff Schwartz Schwartz is also Brandon Ingram's agent and they did it as a favor to him and they don't it doesn't appear that kid has a chance according to LA Times to actually be the head coach which is disappointing news for people who don't like the LA Lakers because Jason Kidd continuing to get job interviews is just amazing to me
1: yeah, it, it's, it's funny when you look at their head coaching candidates in the pool that they've kind of been linked to. You've got Jason Kidd, who's got a sub 500 record. You've got Monty Williams, who's also got a, he's almost 50 games under 500 for his career in five seasons. You've got Ty Lu, who at least is above 500. And then you've got Juwan Howard, who's an assistant coach. And I pulled the record there because I was curious if on the teams that he's coached on with the Miami Heat, he'd be above 500, but not by a ton. It, it's just weird that, like, this is the, the pool that they're looking at. And, yeah, it would just be hilarious if Jason Kidd got a job. And you've got to wonder if Magic Johnson was still in charge. Would he maybe have that job? Because <laughs> if you search Jason Kidd and Magic Johnson's tweets, there are a lot of, like, glowingly fawning tweets praising Jason Kidd.
0: Boy, I'm sure Lakers fans are just cringing at that possibility. I Uh I, I, I just – I feel like Kidd has a ton of friends and, and people who are willing to do him some favors, and uh, they shouldn't. They, they shouldn't be doing him any favors. Uh, he is – the, the one thing that irks me the most, the absolute most about what Jason Kidd is doing is, are the reports that he continues to lobby for jobs that coaches have. That He's not making
1: any more new friends here.
0: Yeah, like he, – while Luke Walton had the job, Kidd is openly lobbying or or not so secretly lobbying anyway that for, for that position and he did the same when he was in Brooklyn trying to go to milwaukee uh, a yep. lot of, it's it's the same pattern with him that he he'll continue to undermine whomever he needs to undermine to get himself that job, and he's done nothing but prove that he does not deserve to be. An NBA head coach. And if you look at Milwaukee's success after the departure of Jason Kidd, like that is just phenomenal, uh, phenomenal evidence. And granted, they did get a couple of pieces to help. They they added some. Like, I, yeah, I, I was looking at this because when they fired
1: him mid-season last year, he was 23 and 22. Joe Prunty took over after him with 21 and 16. And then you look at him this year where they have the best defense, a top five offense. And they, yeah, you were, they've added a couple guys. You've got, um, Lopez, who's been like a- outstanding for him, a good trade deadline acquisition in Mirtic and others. But you know, those two guys there aren't known as defensive stoppers either.
0: Right. So, it's, it's still, uh, I think, pretty obvious that Jason Kidd shouldn't be getting another chance to be a head coach. Like, some guys in, in his position, like, maybe you can make certain arguments that certain things didn't work out for whatever reasons are out of his control, which I don't believe, but fine, let's grant you those arguments. Get him onto a coaching staff where he can be an associate head coach. Or a different kind of assistant, so he can, he can maybe learn more from somebody else. Uh, other, other coaches have done that. Like Nate McMillan gets fired and goes to be an, assist, an assistant. At the uh, NBA benches are full of assistants and associate head coaches that have been, that are fired. Uh, oh, it's like littered with them. It's, it's
1: full of them. some well, Mo Cheeks on the, on the bench for the Thunder. Yep.
0: And, uh, who's with the Clippers? Um, I forget. Anyway, but there, there's, there are, they're all over the place. I, so I just then, don't think Kid's ego will allow him to take that kind of gig. Like, he's just not going to do it. No, that's a fair question. The, the other thing I was trying to figure out is, okay, so if
1: it's kind of like a token interview, like, why even do it? You know, why, like, if, if you're Rob Polinka, like, don't you have better things to be doing right now? Like, trying to figure out how to, like, write the ship, and shouldn't you be kind of, like, I don't know, in the lab, uh, thinking of, like, motivational quotes to, like, sprout off of things that it's gonna get this all organized? And then, it's like, I get the stuff with the agent, and building those relationships and making people happy is actually a really important part of this in working in a front office. But then maybe don't leak that you weren't taking that interview seriously. Like, just it's always something with this Lakers team yeah. coming out about it that's, like, undermining what they're trying to do. If it's a token interview, that's fine. But then if it comes out that it's a token interview, you, you've completely negated even doing it at this point, which then doesn't accomplish what you were trying to accomplish. So why even do it in the first place?
0: Uh That's a good question, good, good question. <laughs> uh, because they're the Lakers, and right now yeah. – because they're the Lakers, is uh, the problem with the Lakers, that they have let the league just kind of run off and pass them by, and they are still just trying to bask in the glow of Lakers exceptionalism. It, it, it's, it got them LeBron, uh, but that's about it. And, and I, I don't want to minimize what getting LeBron means, but... They're also, it's gotten them LeBron at a time where I don't know that that's the biggest positive that you can have, considering the reputation he has for coaches, the reputation he has for taking over a franchise, the reputation he now has with players not wanting to be caught up in the aura of, well, no matter who I am, I'm going to go there and be LeBron's teammate, quote unquote, and not be my own guy, like, this stuff that was supposed to be like, oh, we're going to get LeBron and everything's just going to fall into place because we're the Lakers it just didn't materialize. And on top of it, they're running the franchise in a way. That it's just it, everything's a former Laker. If you're a former Laker, you have a job. If you're not, then they don't want to hear it. And I read today that Jeannie Buss uh, is apparently still listening. I think it's that same Platschke story in the L.A. Times. She still listens to Magic Johnson. He quit. And he's, he's talking
1: to her more now than he did when he worked for the team in an official real
0: big role. <laughs> I mean, that's, how, how insane is that? Yeah. I, I don't know, like, I don't want to go down this road because we're running out of time here, but like, if he's now talking to her, I mean, he's free to talk to whomever and she's free to talk to whomever, but if he's basically saying, oh, I can still go out and recruit people, then did he, does he just quit and then, what, there's no tampering rules anymore? Like, he's still working in an official capacity, sort of, without getting paid? Is that just, is that okay now? Like, I, I don't know how that even- That's a good
1: question, actually.
0: You know, like, if he, if he's still talking to Genie Bus, if he's still recruiting, and it's just like, well, we're not paying him so he can do whatever he wants. Like, they- On the surface, I guess, technically, that's probably allowable, but, I don't know. That there's- I have to sleep on that. That's gonna be yeah, question that's gonna be asked.
1: But more more so even more questions around the Los Angeles Lakers this time of year. Uh which seems about right.
0: Yes, it does. And we're going to end this podcast now because otherwise this First of all, not everybody wants to listen to Lakers podcasting all the time. And no matter what's going on in the NBA, the Lakers seem to permeate the discussion. So I'm sure that's, we're going to get more of that throughout the offseason. It's going to be a crazy offseason for them and for everybody, considering the way this July is shaping up. And we are going to say good night and thank all of the first-time listeners to the Lockdown NBA podcast. If you're coming from our local podcast, Thanks. Sample. Enjoy. Subscribe on the Himalaya podcast app or wherever podcasts exist. You could always tell your smart device to play podcast locked on NBA. And uh, as always, we are your Wednesday hosts. I'm John Corrales, Red's Army underscore John on Twitter, and the co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast.
1: And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, and on Twitter at Nola Jake.
0: David Locke's got the Thursday show tomorrow, so check that out. Subscribe, and we'll see you next time on the Locked On NBA Podcast.